Mr. Speaker, yesterday the Prime Minister had multiple opportunities to inform Canadians as to whether or not he will reverse the decision by Corrections Canada and put Tory Stafford's killer back behind bars. I'd like to give him another opportunity to do so today. He knows he has the power. Will he use it? Honourable Prime Minister. As I said, Mr. Speaker, our hearts all go out to the family of Tory Stafford for the loss they endured. The offender in question was moved from maximum security to medium security in 2014 under the Conservatives. She remains in medium security now. As the Conservative member from Bellechasse Les Echemins Levy said in his capacity as Public Safety Minister, I do not control the security classification of individual prisoners. However, the Minister has asked that the Commissioner of Correctional Services review this decision to ensure that it was taken properly and in accordance with long-standing policy. So the issue, once again, of how on earth did Tory Stafford's killer get moved to pretty much, well, a holiday place? I mean, how did this happen? This, of course, dominating uh, the political scene today. And the question being asked, will the Prime Minister, will this government move this killer back to a maximum security facility. And instead we get all this political back and forth. And I don't care who made the mistake. I don't care what government did it. Just fix it. That the Harper government may have been in charge when Terry Lynn McClintock was designated a medium security risk in 2014. The fact is she was in a jail with wire razor fencing. She was behind bars. And under this government, she got a transfer to an open concept healing lodge with zero fencing, not even a gate. So who okayed the transfer in corrections? Why? Why was it so early in this sentence? And today, by sheer coincidence, the new commissioner of corrections took front and center at a standing committee in Ottawa on you know, public safety. And imagine that, yes. The public safety minister can, in fact, put her back where she belongs. The government can revoke the transfer. Question is, will they? Let's bring in Joe Newberger to this conversation to find out how this all happened. He joins me now. So, Joe, Tory Stafford's killer back in the news. I don't even know what is to debate, to debate here. And because you're a defense lawyer, you may very well disagree with me. But the bottom line is the prime minister could very well, um, you know, revoke this transfer. Question is, what are they waiting for here? Well, you know, I get the feeling that uh, the prime minister uh, wants um, the uh, correctional services and, and, and the criminal justice system to proceed as it should be without interference directly from his office. Um, I, I'm also, I, you know, I also think that there's some issue because he's been a strong proponent of the um, strengthening of resources and recognition of indigenous rights and how that factors into various segments of our society, including the criminal justice system, so much that, you know, they've threatened now and have legislation to deal with peremptory challenges, which is an absurdity. So if he tries to reverse this decision, is this now going to send a signal to the indigenous community who's apologized to and cried to and et cetera, et cetera, that he's backing off on promises that he's made. But we that don't, but first of all, she's not, we don't know if she's Indigenous. And, 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 well, and she I, better be. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, though. You don't have to be Indigenous. And I've spoken with Chief Alan Francis on the show last night. They're not happy about this because they were not part of the process. Elders were uh, cut out of this actual process six years ago. So to me, I look at this and say, this is an opportunity for Mr. Trudeau because he can actually open up um, anything and so look at it and say, we need elders on the decision-making process because... 
if in fact, Joe, and, and this could be a tactic of hers, she could be using advantage of a loophole to say, yes, I believe in this kind of treatment and this will help me. Therefore, she's making a mockery uh, of the Indigenous community and the processes and taking advantage of, of really um, something she shouldn't qualify for. Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and from what I know about the resources and the ability to access these resources, there has to be, you know, there has to be an identification uh, as Indigenous and, you know, some truth to the fact, because regular offenders are not entitled to this type of treatment that's available. Right. So, yeah, she would have to believe in this particular tradition healing. But anybody could say that. Well, that's the thing. And, and you know, I've, I've taken the position that in order for you to have access to these resources, you, there should be, you know, some truth to the fact that you have a connection right. one way or the other to uh, an Indigenous community so that that can be traced back. And I just happened to finish a, a sentencing today on a manslaughter case with a very robust Gladu report, but it was a legitimate individual whose mother was from the Indigenous community. So it's not a joke, it's reality. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there's certain offenses and circumstances which are so heinous that this type of whether she believes in this type of treatment or not should not necessarily be available to to her now the prime minister could instruct the um, minister of justice office to judicially review this and go to the court and and take process there which would be a proper due process because you have to allow the inmate uh, herself have access to justice as well to to address this but he can do that the Department of Justice can do it. They should do it in these circumstances because this is not one of those cases where, given the atrocity that was committed, uh, that I think this is an appropriate, in my opinion, an appropriate setting for somebody like her, given the circumstances of her offending. And you're a defense lawyer saying that. I mean, it's yeah. it's. I mean, we're not even in year 20 of the sentence where maybe in five years when she is up for uh, eligibility of parole, maybe they would start that process. We're talking six, seven years in and you know, two years into her sentence of uh, killing Tori, she, she beat the, the snot out of a fellow prisoner by stomping on her head and said, admittedly, I would have done worse if I'd had more space. And now, a few years after that, she's in this pristine, beautiful facility with children of other inmates who have kids. There's no fencing around this thing. And to me, that is a I, I don't I don't even want to call it an oversight. Someone made the decision to put her, and I think there are a lot of questions that deserve to be asked of who signed off on this? Who would have signed off on it? Well, you know, it, first of all, you have to have, you know, your caseworker at the correctional facility in support of a move to another facility. So that's one. Above that, there has to be um, the, the, the panel within the uh, correctional service uh, supporting this, and so there's bureaucratic de- bureaucratic decisions which are made. So this is not just one person. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be some transparency to this because, at the very least, we all should know how did this happen, and this should be made public. Um, and frankly, the, the federal Department of Justice should be involved in this in order to address it because the family of Tory Stafford is deserving of answers and might have been deserving also of some consultation. I mean, could, should they not have been given an opportunity to write a letter to say, yeah, no, th- this is not... Well, you know, corrections, they'll say, you know, movement within levels of security in the correctional system is not something where we seek out victim input, and, and they are a victim because they're the family. That being said, this is a pretty 
significant move where somebody is enjoying a fair amount of liberty and a, because of a significant reduction in, in security. So, not, to, not to mention, it's a very high-profile cr- crime. And so, you know, if this were Paul Bernardo, do you think that this would ever... I mean, and her crimes are equally as hideous and sadistic. If Paul Bernardo had asked for this kind of upgrade, and that's what I'm going to call it, he would never have been given this. Is no, it because she's a woman that she's been given this consideration? I I don't know. I, I, I don't want to believe that. I, I really don't. There, there may be reports that uh, we, of course, don't know about. So there may be some significant review done of her history and some, uh, you know, significant history of violence she's been exposed to, abuse, trauma, et cetera, which may have factored into her offending behavior. There may be uh, diagnoses which are available that would shed light on this. So we're really in the dark. I can tell you when you look at reports for movement of offenders, They look at all sorts of assessments, including risk, psychiatric and psychological assessment, participation in groups, and these are all documented and done while you make decisions about levels of security. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know nothing about that right now, absolutely zero. And that's something that should be made public uh, in a case like this, because I think we have a right to know. And and I'm not an individual, and you know me. Mm -hmm. You know, the other day I I take the position that it's very important that we maintain uh, the belief in the principle that a civilized society is measured by the way that we treat our offenders. I don't, you know, I listen to some comments and we, this is not a country that tortures our, our inmates. We don't starve them. We treat them with dignity. We provide them with programming because we are a good society. And that's something we have to maintain. But that being said, you don't give such incredible leniency to somebody on such a horrific crime. So early into serving their sentence, and the public really has no confidence because we don't know, has there been some miraculous change? Has there been some significant diagnosis? She would have had to been... have grown wings like a Victoria's Secret model. I mean, she would have had to have done something. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, which begs the question. And I asked you about this, you know, a couple of nights ago I, I, on text. I said, hey, do you get the sense that maybe she's being ready to file for an early release? I mean, could that possibly ever happen? Why would they rehab her this early on and give her this kind of facility this early on? It makes no sense to me. You know, I, you know, the only way I can think of it is that they have done that. There has been some detailed uh, investigation and assessment where there has been a lot of information learned about why she was involved in the relationship she was, why she was involved in the offending that she had uh, been involved in why she was involved in the aggressive activity in the jail, and that there are uh, certainly things to treat, and this would be uh, a setting that could provide that. That being said, Correctional Services has plenty of psychiatric resources that they can employ without sending her to this camp. Or she, or she has manipulated facility. the system. I mean, that is an option. I, she, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, I, I'd be so shocked at that. I mean, I, I, I deal with... I know. Look, literally, I, I author a book on assessing dangerousness. It's a guide to the da- dangerous offender regime. So I update it every year. Two of my colleagues who are judges assist in writing this book every year with us. And we, we look at reports from Corrections Canada. We look at uh, treatment modalities and the statistics of dangerous offenders being able to access lower uh, security and getting resources is slim to none. So this person is as dangerous to me as any person yeah. I have in my book. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. I don't get this. And no, I don't I either. We, and we need we need we need answers. The public needs answers. Tory Stafford's family needs answers. If there's a legit legitimacy to this, 
if there is something really that they've discovered and, and we think this is going to be helpful and it's, it, it's an important decision, stand by it, release it, let us know. You know, and the Minister of Justice should be on this. We, we should, right. But his answers so far have been absolutely paltry on this thing. I mean, this is why uh, people resent the system and don't think it's fair and inevitably end up resenting lawyers like yourself to say the whole system is bent towards the accused. They see cases like this and say, where's the justice? Right. But this is the anomaly. This is not the reality. It is absolutely unequivocally not the reality. There are plenty of offenders who have done offending far less than this, who are serving very serious, hard time, and yeah. uh, they so do not she... get this type of treatment. It doesn't happen. So this is an anomaly, in my opinion. And again, you know, I do author a book dealing with this type of stuff. This is an anomaly. So I'm at a loss to explain it unless something miraculous happened, like you said. And I think the public needs answers. And I don't want to put this necessarily on the shoulders of the prime minister. And I'm not shy to back away from blaming anybody in government. You know how I am about that. But the the minister of justice should be answering this. Inquiry should be made. And we should get meaningful information. And I think the Stafford family has to mount a very public uh, campaign about this to try and get this. Well, they they have. And and they are. The problem is. They're the family. They're dealing with it. They shouldn't have to do any of this. I mean, they should have at least a few years of peace to, to, to heal. Um, I've got to let you go, but I will ask, do you think she'll be sent back? And, and can she be sent back? Well, or at least something know, with a get... fence. Can we just ask that maybe popsicle sticks or something be put up for this woman? Cause, no, you can. You, yeah. you can reverse a decision. People move between medium and, ma- uh, and maximum, and, sorry, minimum, medium, and maximum. It happens. It depends on offender's behavior. If a decision was made without appropriate uh, due justice, which means that it may be very just in her case, but not overall, there is mechanisms for her to yeah. be moved back. There's in the process of judicial review. Yeah. This is something that should be undertaken in this case, in my opinion, even though I'm very much in favor of civil liberties and rights for everybody, including offenders. Sure. Give her a one-way ticket. All right, Joe, I know you're busy today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, you know Alex. I will talk Take to you care. again about this. Cheers. All right. Ciao. I'm Alex Pearson. Here on Point on Global News Radio.